of 12, I need you to sit on the front two rows. So that means Mary has to leave and Jaden has to leave. Front two rows. The front two rows. The front two rows. Because we have way too many people for one row. You guys can sit on the second row. It's okay. This is great. Well, you could go back if you want, sir. Okay. Do you want to sit on the front row or the second row? Doesn't matter? Okay. Well, I wanted to ask you guys. I wanted to show you guys something. I have a job. For me? No, because I know you won't do it. <laughs> you tell me. You would tell me you'd do it, but then you would not. You'd go find something else to do. You would do it? Well, you know what? I want to actually tell you a story. There was this guy, and he came home, and he saw his first son who was sitting in his bedroom reading a book. And he said to his son, we had a lot of wind last night, and it knocked all the leaves off the tree, and I need you to go in the backyard and rake up the leaves. So here's the rake, and here's the bags, and I want you to go rake up the leaves in the backyard. And the son said, I'll take care of it. In just a, he said, No, I, I'm sorry. I messed up. The son said, Dad, I'm in the middle of reading a book. I don't want to do it. He went, all right, there's one time I'll let you get away with that. And the, so the son went to continue reading his book. And the father then went into the living room and saw his other son watching TV. And he came up to his son. He said, hey, the, the wind was up really bad last night. And it knocked all the leaves off of the tree. And our backyard is filled with leaves. I've got a rake. I've got some bags here. I need you to go out back and I need you to rake up the leaves, okay? And the son said, yeah, I'll do it as soon as this show is over with. It'll be over within five minutes. When the show's over with, I'll go out and take care of it, Dad. He goes, okay, no problem. So the dad goes off, into, and, <clears throat> goes off and gets in his car and drives to the store because he had to go pick up some stuff. When he gets back from the store, he comes home. And he looks in the backyard. And the son that was reading the book was out there. But the son that was watching TV was nowhere to be found. The son that was reading the book was raking the leaves and putting them into the bags. And the son that was watching TV, when he asked the other son, he said, where's where's your brother? He goes, I don't know. Last I knew he was watching TV. So the father goes back in the house. And where do you think he finds his his son? Watching more TV, another show. And so which one actually did what the father wanted him to do? The one that was reading the book. But he said no. Wasn't he the one that said no, he wasn't going to do it? He changed his mind. He changed his mind. So, see, sometimes, and this is, this is actually a kind of a, a change from a story that Jesus told. Jesus told a story in the Bible about a father who had two sons, and he asked him to go out and help pick the grapes out of their vineyard. But you guys have never seen a vineyard before, have you? So you probably wouldn't have understood what I was talking about. But you did understand raking the leaves. Yeah. Because you've had to do that probably. You've probably had to help sometimes with your family raking leaves. But the whole point of this story that Jesus told, whether it's picking grapes or raking leaves, is doing the will of the Father is not just saying, yeah, I'll do it. It's actually doing it. And even if at first you say, well, I don't want to do it. But you can change your heart and go, you know, I really do want to do what's right. I want to do the things that would please God. And so it's possible to do God's will, even if you said no at the beginning. And that's a pretty cool story that I think Jesus wanted to make sure we all knew because it's very important. Not that we say we're going to do what we're going to, that we're going to do something, but that we actually do what God wants us to do. 
Because the kid that said, yeah, he'd do it, he didn't really do it, did he? And he was the one that disobeyed, even though he said yes. So when God talks to you guys, because I know he talks to people that are under the age of 12, because they come up to me all the time and say, God told me this, it's really cool. But he literally, what, what, what I believe is when God talks to you, and he's going to ask you to do something, you need to do what he asks, just like the rest of us, because God will expect you to do what he wants you to do. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something for me. Are you willing? That sounded so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Bob, I'll be happy to do that. How about you two guys? Would you take up the offering for us this morning? Okay. All right. Let's pray. And then uh, Miss Joyce, are the kids going downstairs or are they staying up here? Okay, before you go downstairs, though, I have these sheets that you can take with you if you want. If you don't want, no, I'm going to give them to Miss Joyce. And then, hmm, you'll get over it. You'll give them to Miss Joyce, though, okay? I want to pray for you guys, and then you're going to go downstairs with Miss Joyce, and you two guys are going to take up our morning offering. Father God, I thank you and praise you for each one of these kids. I thank you, God, that we have two pews this morning filled with kids. And I ask God that you would touch each one of their lives and bless their homes and bless their parents and bless them, Father. Help them, even though they're little, 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 to understand what it means to obey you and to do what is right. And I ask God that the truth of this story would be real and settled deep down in their hearts, Father, and become a basis for who they are as people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, y'all going on downstairs with Miss Joyce? Huh? And I also remind you, if you have an offering for alabaster, now's the time to come on up and put it in the box. Thank you.
Okay, Isaac, the slides should be set and ready to go, and I'll take over from here. So. We're learning some new stuff, technologically speaking. And so hopefully everything's working. <laughs> well, before I get started, I just wanted to thank those of you who've been praying for me. Um, I've been gone for the last 10 or 12 days. And um, just so you'll know what was happening and, and what was going on, um, my father, since the death of my mother, has really been struggling emotionally and physically. Uh, since May, he's dropped over 100 pounds. Um, he is suffering from cancer. He's also suffering from depression. He's at this point very, very confused. Um, the doctors don't know if that is a cause because of medication he's been on or if it's because of psychotic event that has happened or if there's been a stroke. They just don't know. He's exhibiting um, aphasia, which is a struggling of not being able to use proper words. He exhibits palsy on sides of his face, but it's not consistent. So there, you know, when a person has a stroke, half the face might droop, but then 15 minutes later, it's back to normal. So they don't know what's going on. They can't maintain his blood pressure, which means there's internal bleeding, but they don't know where, but you know, they're doing tests. So it's just a big mess. And literally um, a week ago, yes, tomorrow, um, I had to take him to the doctor's office and to transfer him from his wheelchair into the car, I literally had to kind of pick him up and carry him. And when I did, I was made aware for the very first time that he's, he's literally just a, a bag of bones at this point. They, he looks like a, a concentration camp survivor. He's that emaciated. So I appreciate the prayers because I was very, very distressed and very, very frustrated over the fact that I was so far away and unable to help. And by allowing me to go down for the last week and a half, I was able to do for my dad that which I couldn't do otherwise. And the end result is, is that I'm at peace. Um, if he dies, I'll be sad, but I'm at peace. I feel like I've done what I could and needed to do. And I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity that, that God afforded to me. And I also appreciate the support that I've had in prayer uh, over the last few weeks. So thank you. Um, we're in the last few weeks of our study through the School of Prayer. Um, we are, um, I think there's four, three or four lessons left after this. Um, and it's been challenging to me. There's times when I read stuff and I'm like, wow, that's uh, not part of my life. Um, and I, one of the things this morning, as, I'm, as I've been preparing this sermon, one of the things that's been hitting me this morning, I mean, for this morning's message, is, is the very much thing that... that I've never thought about this uh, in the way that Andrew Murray presented it, um, but it rings true with me. It's not something that I've ever pondered in the, in the past, but since I've been chewing on this this week, it really rings true with me, and I hope that I can bring out uh, some of the truth that's there. So let me go ahead and bring the slides up. I messed up, because that was supposed to be the slide that the kids saw talking about the parable, but I put it in the wrong place, and I realized way too late, so they don't get to see it. Um, the title of my sermon this morning is, Can You Drink From This Cup? And um, the, uh, the, the scripture that we're going to be looking at is Mark chapter 14. And you can choose to read with me or you just listen along, whichever you prefer. But Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42, we're going to be reading about the story of the time of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane or the place called Gethsemane. 
It says in the book of Mark, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you, what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? <sighs> Enough. The time has come. Look, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. In order for you to understand where I'm coming from in my thought process, I would have to take you back to the early part of the week as I began. The only way to do that effectively was to give you a visual and auditory stimulus to help bring you into the same mindset and heart set that I have come into as I've prepared this sermon. I have a PowerPoint presentation that I'd like you to watch and listen to and just think about as you hear the words of this song. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray.
apologize. The computer is frozen. So we're going to just have to go on without the sound, I mean, without the, the picture. Oh, well. The enemy knows what he's doing, but God is over, overwhelming, so I'm not worried about it. I don't have to worry about that anymore either. If somebody knows anything about it and wants to restart the computer, that'd be great, but if not, that's okay. Um, the bottom line is this. Jesus, who from the time of the beginning knew the plan of God, he was there, it says, that we just heard this morning, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Nothing was created without him. So at the time of the creation, when God said, there will come a time when a seed from you will crush the serpent's head, Jesus was right there hearing those words. But there came a point in his moment when he was, in the moment of his life when he was sitting in, in that place called Gethsemane where he was sorrowful unto death, the scripture tells us. And Andrew Murray in his writing said that there were deep mysteries surrounding this place called Gethsemane. First of all, he said, the father offers his son, his well-beloved son, a cup. And a number of theologians have questioned what that cup was. But the consensus comes down to it that that cup was the cup of God's wrath against the sins of mankind. The second mystery, says Andrew Murray of Garden of Gethsemane, is the son who always was so obedient shrinks back and implores that he not have to drink it. Think about that. He was there at the beginning. He knew. He knew the plan. He's known the plan throughout all time and beyond time. But in the moment when it was about to happen, something within him caused him to shrink back. Not only to shrink back, but to implore that he not have to drink from that cup. And the interesting thing is, the father who loves the son doesn't do what the son asks. He doesn't grant the request. He just stands there with the cup held out, waiting for his son to reach up and take it. It says in the scriptures that we just read, three times Jesus implores to the point of death, to the point where blood literally seeps from his forehead. He's under such great stress. And the father, without moving, continues to hold out the cup until ultimately Jesus reaches up and takes the cup from his father and says, not my will, thine be done. For all who learn to pray in the school of Jesus' 
school of prayer. I'm quoting Andrew Murray. This Gethsemane lesson is one of the most sacred and precious. To a superficial scholar, it may appear to take away the courage to pray in faith. If even the earnest supplication of the Son wasn't heard, if even the Beloved had to say, not what I will, how much more do we need to speak it? And thus it appears impossible that the promises which the Lord had given only a few hours previously, whatever you ask, whatever you will, could have been meant literally. A deeper insight into the meaning of Gethsemane would teach us that we have just here the sure ground and the open way to the assurance of an answer to prayer. Andrew says, let us draw close in reverent and adoring wonder as we gaze on this great sight. God's son offering up prayer and supplications with strong crying and tears and not getting what he asks for. He himself is our teacher. He opens up to us the mystery of this holy sacrifice and reveals to us the wonders of this prayer. And then I spent a week reflecting. And these are the things that I thought of as I spent the week. First of all, Jesus wasn't playing any games when he was kneeling in that place. He was flat out honest with God. I don't want to do this. Please. (sighs) Father, there was no game going on there. Oh, I know, God, that this is the perfect plan. This is what you want. From all eternity, I know that this is what's needed, so let's just go with it. He was flat out honest. Andrew Murray has been teaching us through this school of prayer that he's been writing that we can come to the Father with any petition and that the Father will hear us. And in addition, he taught us that if we ask anything according to God's will, we will have what we ask of him. So my question then is, Where does the prayer that Jesus offered in the place called Gethsemane fit into this teaching? Jesus wasn't praying. These are Andrew Murray's words now. Jesus wasn't praying from a position of knowledge that what he was praying was according to the will of the Father. Because he had stated over and over and over throughout his time on this earth that his reason for coming to the earth was to die. So what does Jesus, so excuse me, what right does Jesus have to pray, let this cup pass from me? We know he didn't sin in doing so because that would have negated his death on the cross because it had to be a sinless sacrifice. So we know that he didn't sin. So we we can then deduce that his time in the garden of being real and being honest and pouring out his heart to God was not sinful. Andrew Murray says, here he prays for something in regard to which the Father's will is not yet clear. 
when in the unutterable agony of soul that burst on him as the power of darkness came on him, he began to taste those first drops of death as the wrath of God against sin. In his human nature, as it shuddered at the awful reality of being made into a curse, he gave utterance in this cry of anguish, this desire that if there's any way God's purposes could still be accomplished without him dying, that he might be spared from drinking from that awful cup. Let the cup pass from me. This desire that we see, Andrew Murray says, was evidence to us of Christ's true humanity. But where Jesus didn't sin was that he said, not as I will. All things are possible with you, God, but not as I will. And that is how he was able to express himself in prayer openly and honestly without sinning. He was able to say what was on his heart. He was able to say, I can't go through this. I can't go through this. But I will, if it's what you want. Andrew Murray says, the prayer that this cup should pass away couldn't be answered. The prayer of submission that God's will be done was heard. And gloriously answered in his victory, first over fear and then over the power of death. The father holds the cup out. The son in his humanity shrinks back. No, please, no. And ultimately, takes the cup from the Father's hand and drinks. The decision was made in that place called Gethsemane. It wasn't made on the cross. That was done in the garden, in that place. He took that cup. He drank from it. He said, whatever you want, God, that's what I will do. Whatever you want. I read another uh, author. His name is Don Acock. He wrote a book on prayer. And he said, people of genuine faith may address their doubts and questions to God in prayer. It's not blasphemy to raise genuine questions and doubts to God. Instead, it is a sign of deep trust when you can be that real with God. That's number one that I see in this lesson from, from the Gethsemane place. We can be honest with God. It's not a sin. Amen. We need to keep ourselves in check. You've got to be respectful. But you can be honest. Number two, keep your eyes fixed on the goal. When I was in the Air Force back many, many years ago, 1977, 
I was in basic training and we were required to run a mile and a half every single week. I'd never run any time in my life other than when I was in track in elementary school. I am not a runner. I have never been one. And Alex, I'm sorry, but I don't ever plan to be one. Okay? I will work out with you, but I am not going to become a long distance runner. But in the Air Force, I had no choice. In order to graduate from basic training and be on active duty, I had to run a mile and a half and I had to do so within their time limits. And that wasn't 35 minutes. <laughs> it was about half that. It was about 14 minutes, and it hurt to do it in 14 minutes. <laughs> but I learned a trick. I would choose a goal off in the distance, and I would train my eyes on that goal. And as we were running towards that goal, I saw it getting closer and closer and closer and closer. But then we would go on on a track, it was an oval. So eventually that goal was out of my line of sight. So then I would pick another goal. And as I got closer and closer and closer until it was out of my then I'd pick another. And literally playing that game, keeping my eye focused on the goal, it helped me to not think about the pain that I was going through. Literally. And while I focused on that goal, those 14 and a half minutes passed relatively quickly. I have another story to share with you. When I first met my wife, her middle brother's wife was pregnant with their second child. First, no, no, yeah, second child. And they, I heard stories of the pregnancy with the first child, our nephew. And our nephew is a very big man. He's in his 30s now. He's six foot four, weighs over 230 pounds, 220 pounds. He's huge. He's a big man. When he was born, he was big, especially his head. Ladies, think about that. My sister-in-law, during her labor, trying to deliver this child, was screaming, I just want to go home! I can't do this! Please don't make me! Do you know this kid, when he was a toddler, wore his dad's hat and it fit? That's how big his head was. And his head didn't grow for the first three years. The rest of his body caught up. Okay, so she was in so much pain and she kept, I can't do this, I can't endure the pain, I can't. Well, there was a dilemma. Her husband couldn't take her home. They had to have the baby. And the only way to have the baby was either to cut her open or to let him come naturally. And either way, she had to go through pain. There was nothing they could do about it. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 gives us an understanding of what I've just talked about. Because I was in pain and couldn't deal with this mile and a half run, so I focused on a short-term girl. And in her case, she couldn't, but she could focus on something to take her mind off the pain. Well, in Hebrews 2, 12, 12, 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. The entire time, from the moment he said, I'll drink the cup, until he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he wasn't focused on the nails. He wasn't focused on the people yelling at him. He wasn't focused on the continuous loss of blood. He was only focused on you having your sins forgiven. You standing on that great crystal sea before the throne of God with all the thousands upon thousands of the rest of us 
standing before the, before the Father saying, Thank you, God. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin. That was the joy that was set before him. That was the goal that he had facing him as he went through that horror. It was the joy set before him that enabled him to drink the cup. Pastor Chuck Smith, who is uh, famous from Calvary Chapels, wrote in his commentary on Mark chapter 14, I believe that this moment of agony there in the garden, as Jesus was saying, Father, all things are possible for you. Take away this cup. I believe that the Father at that point gave Jesus a vision of that glorious day in heaven when the redeemed on the earth are gathered around the throne of God. And as he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who's sitting on the throne and the elders are offering their golden vials full of olders and which are all the prayers of the saints and the saints break out in that glorious song, worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals for he was slain and has redeemed us by his blood out of every nation and tribe and tongue and people and has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign with him on the earth. I think as he saw that glorious moment in heaven, and saw the redemption complete in my life and in your life, he was then able to continue in his prayer. Not what I will, but what thou will. So in our prayer school from this time in Gethsemane, don't look at the pain or what you're going through. Keep your eye focused on the joy set before you. Another truth that I see here, this one I don't like, but it's true. So you think this is hard. Jeremiah chapter 12, the prophet is complaining to God, telling him, you know, you call me to do this, God. You want me to do all these things, but my people don't like me. My family doesn't like me. No one's listening to me. And God, and Jeremiah's just going on and on and on and on and on. And Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, God answers him. And you know what he says? If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how are you going to compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? There was another author who wrote his own paraphrase of this. And it says, if a few foot runners have worn you out in your race for me, what will you do when you come up against the thoroughbred horses? And if you fall flat on your face on level ground in a pleasant meadowland as you move for me, what will you do in the tangled lion infested jungles of the Jordan? The days are coming which will make these days look like easy days. There are higher hurdles ahead, boy. You are up against boys now. There are men farther down the road, and farther still, there are giants. So cheer up, Jeremiah. The worst is yet to come. <laughs> Chuck Smith said, because we see him, Jesus, the next day, bravely facing the whole thing. We're prone to sometimes forget the real battle was waged there in Gethsemane. The reason why he was so strong and brave the next day, he already had gained the victory. As always is the case, we gain the victory through prayer. Here was the real victory wrought for you and me. Here in the garden was the real battle. Once the victory was accomplished in the garden, the rest was academic. The real battles are wrought in the prayer closets, not in the battlefields.
Another author that I read said this, and this, I, w- I could almost develop a whole sermon on this one. The Garden of Eden was a garden of death. The Garden of Gethsemane was a garden of life. Adam, through a selfish decision, brought death to the world. Jesus, through a selfless decision, brought life back to the world. So, we've talked about the three things. What were they? Help me. Honesty Honesty in your prayer. Number two? Keep Keep your eyes fixed on the goal. And number three? See, you think this is hard. Now, that one doesn't sound fun, but the reality is you need to understand that God is training us. When I first joined the Air Force, the very first day, they knew I couldn't run a mile and a half, but they trained me over those six weeks to build up my endurance so that when the time came for the true test, because I only had to run one and a half miles once in order to graduate. So when the time came for the true test, I was ready for it. So what you're going through may be hard right now, but you can trust God. Now, I'm not going to tell you he'll never give anything you can't bear because that's not in the scriptures, okay? But I will tell you that he will not let anything into your life that he is not going to equip you to get through. Now, you can choose to pick up the equipment he gives you or you can choose to do it in your own strength. That's your business. But if he ordains something for you, it is his business. He's God, he is sovereign, and he's doing it for a reason. So I want to close this all up. At the end of the Gethsemane story in John 18, Jesus yelled at Peter, Put your sword away! Am I not to drink the cup that my father has given me? Which tells us it was a done deal. He settled the question. He drank from the cup. Andrew Murray offers the suggestion that the secret to finding true power in our prayers is being of one mind and one spirit with him in giving up everything to God's will. Living like Jesus in obedience and surrender to the Father. That's abiding in Christ. And that is the secret to power in our prayers. So I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, are you facing a hard thing? Is God calling you to drink from a cup? Is God possibly asking you to rake up some leaves? And it's all well and good to say, oh yes, God, I love you and I will. But are you going to be like the kid that watches TV and forgets to go do the Father's will? Are you going to be the one who realizes, yeah, I got to go do what God wants me to do? So I challenge you this morning, as we take out, as we close our time here, A cup is set before you. A rake is set before you. Bags are set before you. Whatever you need. All I care about 
is that you're right with God when you walk out of here. You know what he's asking of you. You can sense it right now in your own heart. What he wants from you is 100% surrender. Not my will, your will. If you ever expect to have your prayers answered, that's the only thing you can say to him. You can be honest with him and tell him all how much you fuss and you don't like. And... But the reality is, when it all comes down, he is still God. So I ask you, as you, take, as you close out this time, the way we're going to close our service is this. I'm going to give a benediction. And then you're going to take whatever time you need to make your decision. And you can get up and just walk out if you choose to. That's your business. But if you are dealing with something and God's talking to you, then take a few minutes to do it. And then finally, come on up here and symbolically drink from the cup by taking a cup of grape juice, understanding that this is a representation of the covenant relationship that we have with God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us as we go through our week. Go in his peace.